Welcome to The Emerging Human, where we explore optimizing health and body spirituality and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a therapist, coach, and educator, and I'm your host. Another shout out to Frederick Lowen from the Alexander Lowen Foundation Center for Biogenic Analysis, who I'm working with as part of my own personal development work. You can learn more about his work at lowenfoundation.org. Today's show is brought to you by Cosper Scafidi, an amazing body worker in the Northern Virginia area who has integrated various somatic practices into his work, including rolfing. He's actually my rolfer. To learn more about Cosper's work, you can visit his website at cosperscafidi.com. Today's guest is Dr. Irene Kopp. As founder of the Stress Success Shift Institute, Dr. Irene Kopp helps purpose-driven high achievers shift from stress to success in all areas of their life, their career and wealth, health and energy, relationships and personal life. Because of her own catastrophic burnout and near-death experience, which we'll discuss today, Dr. Irene is passionate about guiding others and bouncing back from burnout, as well as healing from trauma. Her comprehensive background and expertise spans both Eastern and Western medicine, holding dual doctoral degrees as a medical doctor and a doctor of chiropractics, with extensive training in acupuncture, neuroplasticity, elite performance, psychology, stress management, and resilience. Hi, Dr. Irene. Good to see hey. you. Wow. I love your educational background, which we'll get into. Um, but let me ask you this, and I think it's really important because as we talked offline, you know, your work is not driven by just a theoretical interest in things. You actually had, and I mentioned it in the bio, like you know, a deep personal series of experiences, which led you to realize a lot of people need the kind of help that you offer. And I'm wondering if can you kind of share your story and kind of weave in your education as part of that too, and then we can talk about your present day work. I'd love to, and thanks for having cool. me here, Michael. And yeah. I, I especially appreciate being here because it's amazing how synergistic what we do is, right? Like you come at it from one way, I come at it from another way. And it's, it's beautiful to know that we don't have to have all the answers and that we can be, we're all just pieces of the puzzle, right? So, and, and, and what makes us a piece of the puzzle is, you know, our mess is our message. And, and I, I, I'm no different. I, I really truly am no different. Uh, I'll, I'll give a, a synopsis per se, because I could take forever on it. I've had you on my podcast, The Stressed Success Shift, and, and, in part one, because I know there's going to be more of our conversation, we talked about childhood and your childhood experiences and adversity and, and, and needing to overcome. And I was very, very similar from a, a different standpoint in that I was born right after my father was discharged from the army with, and it was not known at the time was he had a very severe form of PTSD due to atrocities that he experienced and witnessed as part of his tour of, of duty. And at that time, as I said, it wasn't recognized. It was suck it up, take it like a man. And oh, by the way, this is confidential and you're not allowed to tell anyone. So he did what any... <laughs> good soldier at the time did he soldiered on and he self-medicated with alcohol and so I grew up in a very abusive household in childhood because you never knew 
who was going to walk through that door? Was it going to be dad or was it going to be the bear? <laughs> and, and so that experience, that adversity, number one, gave me a whole bunch of baggage. <laughs> Let's just call it like it is, right? <laughs> In other words, you, you, you don't come out of that unscathed. So I had to learn as a child how to survive, how to, to make the, the best of the situation. And, and, and part of that was that I grew up with a, a deep need to help people mm. and, and want. Like I remember being five years old and an aunt saying, so what would you like to be when you grow up, dear? I was like, a doctor. And she, because this was the time, I think I'm a little bit older than you, Michael. She was like, oh dear, don't you mean a nurse? And I'm like, no, a doctor. Because at that point, I knew that they were the ones who had the power, right? They were the ones that were listened to. They were the ones who were respected, right? In other words, there was no bear coming through the door for them, at least that I knew of. And at the same time, it was a way of helping others. And so I, I did exactly that. I first became a doctor of chiropractic and then I specialized in acupuncture and, and a variety of other techniques to help people in, in that way. And I love it. I, I really truly, I call chiropractic my baptism by fire. Mm -hmm because it was way harder than anything I ever did before as far as education. And along the way, I became a statistic. I, like so many other people, ended up divorced. So I was a single mom with two young sons and, and I, was, I was determined to do it all. I was determined to be the perfect mother, the perfect doctor, the perfect community member and business member. I was on the board of directors of this, that, and the other thing. I even ran like a whole festival that hundreds of thousands of people would come to basically all by myself. Like my office manager would help me, but it's like, I basically coordinated the whole thing. Like this was, this was part of my drive. And I thought I was on top of the world. In reality, I had hit the wall. I developed catastrophic burnout and crashed and burned, literally. I lost consciousness while driving in Northern Canada and drove straight into a three-story high rock face. And that truly was, I, I, I work with people now and we talk about your ICU moment, your near-death experience, and you don't have that kind of experience without it changing you in some way, shape, or form. And I broke 10 bones. It was during the first SARS quarantine, like so SARS, the original SARS a gazillion years ago, not so long ago. Um, I was in hospital and I couldn't see my young sons. I couldn't see my family. I couldn't have visitors. 
10 broken bones. That wasn't the worst of it though, Michael. The, the worst was my two young sons had been in the car with me. And I almost took them with me to the grave unintentionally. And still that almost happened. My youngest son had a catastrophic brain injury. It was two or three weeks before they even figured out that he was going to live after he was, you know, flown air, 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 airlifted. That's the word it's called to, you know, three hours to the, the nearest pediatric hospital so that he could have emergency life-saving surgery. And my six-year-old son at the time had PTSD because he witnessed what adults were throwing up at the scene with. And so far worse than 10 broken bones, that's nothing, that's physical pain. The worst was the emotional pain, the mental pain of what kind of doctor was I not to have known? What kind of mother was I to almost kill her young sons? And my inner judge and jury tried, convicted, and hung me out to dry. And I was going crazy with fear because I couldn't even see them because my, I was in one hospital and my youngest son was in another hospital. And even my six-year-old who was at home he was being suspended every single day because of, you know, throwing chairs and spitting on teachers. He was threatening to hurt others. He was threatening to hurt himself. I mean, he was suffering so much and I couldn't even see him. And so worse than the time I sat in the driver's seat with the 10 broken bones, as waiting for them to cut me out with the jaws of life. Worse than that was the pain, the guilt, the shame, the remorse of what kind of mother was I? Did I deserve my children? Did I deserve even to live? And that, that, Michael, was the darkest moment of my life. And I'll never forget it. I was lying all alone in my hospital room, happened to be dark, bawling my eyes out. And I'm not a pretty crier like Demi Moore. I was like, you know, just like, "Ah!" (laughs) and I was literally crying out like, why me? Why me? As in, how did this happen to me? And then frankly, self-pity. Why me? And then the answer came to me that much as I wanted to be up there, that doctor on the pedestal, I was no different than hundreds of millions of other people in North America alone. And now with COVID, we could say billions of people who are burned out, who have, are close to the end of the rope, or maybe they're about to crash and burn, or maybe they've actually crashed and burned because it can show up in so many different ways. And so I had to recognize that I was just a statistic and that I had a choice. I had a choice that I could either continue to beat myself up, I could give up and just go, you know what? 
inner judge and jury, you're right. I'm an awful person. I'm a monster. I don't deserve my kids. I don't even deserve to live. Or I could give myself the grace, the grace that I would give any other human being or a patient of mine. And that was to know that I was not alone and that I had been set up for failure. Set up for failure by a society that encourages and expects us to burn out, that treats humans like, like replaceable commodities. And that, you know, oh, if you, you have to achieve and achieve to prove that you are worthy, and if you can't reach that holy grail, then you are deficient, you are weak, you're failure. And at the same time, part of that why me was also asking, why me? I do everything right. I was already a meditation instructor. I already exercised, ate as well as could be, you know, at that time of what was known. In other words, I knew more about nutrition than most doctors. I, I did yoga. Probably the only thing that could be faulted was, you know, mother of two young sons, maybe not in quite enough sleep. But the point was not enough to hit the wall. Mm. And that's when I realized that the why me was that I was set up for failure by that upbringing, mm. by the trauma that I'd already gone through that left me sensitized, left me, in other words, I hadn't healed from it. So therefore, when new stresses were added on, they just, they just broke the bank, right? They just, like a house of cards coming tum tumbling down. The survival mechanisms, the very things that I learned as a child to survive, don't show up unless you're perfect, because otherwise it's not safe. Make others feel good so that you calm the bear, mm -hmm. right? Don't rock the boat. Yep. Forget your own needs. Don't rock the boat. In other words, this and more. In other words, that, that stressed overachiever, perfectionist, nurturer, need to helper, right? Every, all of it set me up for failure because it was, it was too much and it was wearing me down. And I didn't even realize it. And so from that moment on, I did decide to give myself the grace. The grace to know that with my education, with my clinical background, and then my personal experience, I was the purpose person. I was the perfect one to really hit this head on and to lead the charge to eradicate burnout, or as I call it, flame out syndrome, because burnout is only supposed to be the mental and emotional aspects and workplace related. Whereas I can tell you from, from my own place, that is very physical. And if, if you know, it's like the mental and emotional burnout is simply the canary in the coal mine. And, and if you keep 
going and keep pushing, then you will end up with some kind of physical condition. Mine was a physical condition that caused my blood sugar to tank and I lost consciousness. It could be your blood sugar to, to jack up and, and get get and develop diabetes. It could be heart disease. It could be cancer. It could be autoimmune conditions like multiple sclerosis, thyroid conditions. Uh, it could be it could be so many things, including susceptibility to infections like viruses. Like, hmm, do we know one that we want to be strong against? <laughs> yeah. So that's what I decided. I decided that if I could help one person, I would then be successful. If I could stop one, prevent one person, one family from suffering what my family and I did, then I would have achieved my why, you know, and of course, I, I, not stopping there. I, I would love for you to talk more about like, okay, how do you now see helping people through flame out as you call it? But before we get there, many things stand out for me that I'll, and one I'd like you to talk about. It's interesting because one of the things I heard you say is that spiritual practices you're doing, meditation, yoga, and then even like eating healthy and exercising, but I'll stick to the spiritual practices. You know, there's two ways of looking at them. One is to transform how we see ourselves in the world around us, or we can use them to be, do more of what we're already doing, like 20 xing our performance. We can be more effective and efficient, driving ourselves into the ground longer by meditating and doing yoga and eating right and exercising, as opposed to like having those few practices transform how we relate to ourselves, the world around us. And what I'm hearing you say is like, your first path was, oh, I could use these practices. I did use these practices. So I could do even more, even more, even more. So I can extend the amount of time until I drove myself into the ground. Or I hear a shift, which is maybe your program. Like, oh, I'm going to shift how I utilize these things for something different. And I'd love for you to kind of, if, if you agree with what I, my contentions in this, speak to those two different paradigms. Mm. And I don't look at them as two different paradigms, Michael. Okay. You did a, a wonderful job of describing a seeming contradiction. And to me, there, there is no real contradiction. And I will say, first and foremost, that I don't separate out physical, mental, emotional, energetic, spiritual. Mm. Right? That's what gets us into this trouble in the first place. <laughs> right? And yeah, with my tools, my techniques, I was able to push myself far further than somebody else. But here's the real crooks of the matter is that I was basically putting a Band-Aid on the situation, on a wound, when it was really, I'm going to get geeky here and hopefully not too gross for your listeners, you know, there's a difference between a wound on your skin that, you know, you need to like do whatever you need to do, stitch, put a bandaid on, and then as soon as possible, you need to leave it to the air, right? So it can heal, right? Versus an abscess, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. underneath the skin. And at the most, maybe there'll be some redness, maybe some swelling, maybe, you know, like a little bump there. You may not see it at all, 
but that infection is underneath the skin. And if you don't, fancy term is debrided, if you don't open it up to the air and clean out the gunk, you could put all the band-aids on in the world. You could put all the antiseptic on the skin in the world. And all it's going to do is nothing, number one. And the infection <laughs> is going to fester and it's mm -hmm. going to be driven yeah. inward and it can literally go systemic and kill you. Yeah. Right. So, so that is in essence and that abscess, that infection, to continue that analogy, was the lack of self-love, was the lack of self-worth and value. In other words, I was a great survivor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I come from farmer stock. It's like, there's one thing farmers are really good at, it's surviving. Mm -hmm. Put one foot in front of the other and you just keep going. We're proud of it. Yeah. Not great thrivers, right? It's, it's, it's a fact. I say with all the love in my heart, farmers are not good thrivers because nothing is ever good enough. It's either too hot, too cold, too wet, too dry, or God forbid, perfect conditions and you have a bumper crop because guess what? Then the price is going to fall out of it because, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's too much supply to, you know, mm -hmm. compared to the demand. <laughs> so in other words, going back to this, it's, that is what I realized finally. Like, and, and I'd like to say I realized all that, like that one day as I was lying in my hospital bed, still with 10 broken bones. And I was lying flat because that's all I could do. I'd love to say that was the case, you know, and everything was hunky dilly dory. No, no, no. It was a long, tough uphill battle of, of refusing to, to believe the prognoses that were that top neurosurgeons had given my son that he wouldn't walk, talk, or pass high school, that, that, you know, I would, you know, tell us when the pain is too bad and we'll, we'll place your hips. We'll, you know, fuse your ankle. We'll do this. We'll do that. And I was like, like H E double hockey sticks. <laughs> right. And, and so I, 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 went and I got certified, not as many as you have, Michael, not as many as you have. I don't think anybody possibly has <laughs> as many certifications as you do. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, the determination was there. In other words, I had almost, almost been the end of my young sons and it was not going to happen again, not on my watch. I, whether part of it was guilt, the other part of it was just mama bear, mm -hmm. that this is not, I, I refuse to accept this. And so belief was a huge part of it. I believed that my son would be whole again. And I went looking for what do I need to learn to make that happen? So course after course after course, including going back to medical school, going to medical school and getting my medical degree. In other words, anything it took, hundreds of thousands of dollars, years and years and years. And I'm not saying that arrogantly. In other words, I was willing to do whatever it took to find the answers. And this is what I realized was that 
just as you have, remember I said, physical, mental, emotional, energetic, spiritual, then there's like, there's energy as in vibration, but there's also energy as in your life force energy. And what I realized is that everything that set me up for failure was a massive energy drain. It was like an energy vampire, like in Harry Potter's Dementors, like sucking the life right out of you. So that that's why I said I was set up for failure because even though I was doing everything so-called right, it still wasn't enough. And part of that not <laughs> deep down energy vampire was that I didn't value myself yeah. and I didn't love myself so that I had to keep pushing, 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 pushing to achieve, to achieve even after the crap had hit the wall. In other words, I had to, I felt pushed like, in other words, I got my medical degree because I didn't believe as a chiropractor, acupuncturist, this, 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 and this, that it was enough. I wasn't enough. And then I was beating myself up because I wasn't Harvard trained. I wasn't Stanford trained, Ivy League. Until finally, <laughs> realized number one i'm canadian why would i go to harvard <laughs> you know but at the same time that was the inner judge and jury yeah. ready like with a baseball bat to whack me down every chance it got and and that is that was the undoing and what i realized had to be eliminated so that I could stop the energy leaks, yeah, yeah, yeah. get rid of the energy vampires, and then truly learn how to love, accept, and value myself. Because it really, truly is easier said than done. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, Michael. How do you, can you walk us through the process of like, oh, I had the realization, maybe many realizations of like, oh, it's the self-love. I don't need to be driven by external validation. and degrees and certifications what were there moments you like had that realization and then what did you do with it how did you like do the inner work to create that self-love mm. dynamic in yourself mm. that's a really great question i part of my searching in how to heal my son how to heal my family how to heal myself really truly was the basis of what I do now and it's what I teach others how to do now in other words that messes your message thing I every technique every tool that I teach I needed mm -hmm. because I realized and and it goes way beyond mindset yeah oh yeah right in other words I love mindset trust me mm -hmm. it's 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 a beautiful thing to teach and, and do and practice. And at the same time, mindset is conscious. So Michael, you know that you can say, you can decide, I love myself. I accept myself. I value myself. I'm, I'm an amazing person. In other words, you can say these and affirmations are great. But the boogeyman of shame inside your unconscious mind is just laughing 
at you when, when yeah. you do that. In other words, if you don't clear the barriers at the unconscious level, mm-hmm. then, then all of the affirmations and positive mindset in the world is not going to truly, truly help you. And so the tools that I learned, and I know you know many more, and I look forward to learning your tools and, you know, so that I can integrate them as well, is that everything I do is designed to get to that unconscious level. So if you imagine like an iceberg, right, the tip of the iceberg sticking out of the water is like your conscious mind. And then the massive, more dangerous part of the iceberg, as the Titanic found out, is your unconscious mind. So theoretically, you could work on it consciously, the tip of the iceberg, and it'd be like melting it, right? It's melting slowly in the sun. And like an ice cube in a glass of water, it will slowly rise up, right? So over time, I shouldn't say you can never get to it. it. It just may take like way longer than you personally have. I'm a very impatient person. Uh, what can I say? So I'm all about, okay, let's, what can we, let's take a torpedo and blast away (laughs) at the underbelly of the iceberg and break it apart. Let's just get rid of it. So otherwise, what is the fastest, easiest, most powerful way to make this happen? And so some of them are that I do, I still do meditation. I still I have like a number of meditations up on the app Insight Timer. And I love that app because millions of people around the world benefit from it. And it's free. Like there's a portion that if you want to take courses, sure, you can pay a, you know, 60 bucks a year or something like that. But for the most part, you know, so much is free that you can benefit from. So there is that. And one of the things that I realized also from my training is that when you are under stress and when you're under survival in survival mode, which is what stress is, meditation is like the worst thing for you. Unless you are already a seasoned meditator, hmm. right? Can you to the point that? where the because meditation is conscious. Right. So unless you have been already practicing meditation for quite some time, probably even like years, right, where you have internalized it, because you can, you can get to a point where when you meditate, just like Pavlov's dog salivate at the ringing of a bell, right, you can get yourself to a state where all you have to do is take one breath and your it your brain is conditioned okay all right still time if you are new to meditation right and you are thrown into survival mode like most of the world has been in the last couple of years then that's the last thing that's going to help because we have different ways that we're hardwired to respond to stress, to a threat. 
And just like animals, <laughs> right? A gazelle is hardwired to run if a lion starts chasing, right? There are humans who are hardwired to run as well. And if they can't physically run, they'll check out mentally, emotionally, like, right? They're just gonzos. Uh, just like a honey badger will turn around and fight. It could be like, you know, an animal like 10 times its size. And it'll be like, bring it on, right? Goes into Hulk mode, right? Hulk smash. Well, guess what? There's like a huge segment of, of humans who are hardwired to go into Hulk smash road. Right. So if you are hardwired to run, then think of that like, you know, it's like you're like, I don't have time to meditate. I'm gone. Mm. Right. If you're in Hulk smash mode and somebody says to you, just relax, go meditate for an hour, what's Hulk smash going to do? Right. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 the same thing, like you might be like, you know, a, a rabbit shivering in fear, a deer caught in the headlights, right? Where you're paralyzed. Again, your meditation's not going to help, right? Or you're going to faint like a possum and play dead. Again, you might fall asleep. And maybe that one's not quite so bad. Point is, when you are in survival mode, when you are in stress mode, your prefrontal cortex is wiped offline. And that's a very fancy name for your executive rock star team in your brain. That is where you think logically and you come up with creative solutions and you make good decisions and you can, you're motivated to act on those decisions. Oh, and it inhibits your emotions so that you're not flying off the handle or crying at the drop of a hat. In other words, so you can actually focus on what you need to do and you can remember what you were actually supposed to be working on, right? Those are all the functions of your executive rockstar team that sits right behind your forehead. And it's like giving yourself a frontal lobotomy. <laughs> And, and wiping that offline when you are in survival mode, and which is what the vast majority of people have been for the last couple of years. And so that means when you are in survival mode, you are not thinking straight. So you're not thinking straight enough to go, yeah, you know, I should sit down and just meditate. I should just, right? That'd be so good for me. So I teach meditation still, and I teach a more active version of it. Hmm. In other words, what is, in other words, I teach meditations that you can do while you're standing up, that you can do while you're walking, that you can do while you're driving. And it's, it's a way of calming the bear inside. <laughs> Talk about bears a lot. Your, your emotion center, your five alarm center. Mm -hmm in your unconscious mind, like the sirens, a danger, 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 Will Robinson, right? Calming that down so that then you can be like, all right, now my rock star team can kick back online and I can think straight and I can think creatively so that I can come up with the solutions that I need to, to get me out of this mess. And so, yes, I teach, a different form of meditation that's good for the Hulk smash. It's good for the runners. It's good for those paralyzed with fear. 
And then I also teach um, active, no, that's a different thing, emotional freedom technique. Mm -hmm. I come at it from the acupuncture standpoint. So it's tapping on very powerful acupuncture points. And just as we can't separate out the physical, mental, emotional, what I love about traditional Chinese medicine, and they're not the only ones that used acupressure and, and energy work, right? Ayurvedic medicine. And so many of the ancient civilizations had their version of it because they realized something that we lost along the way, I believe. And that is that you cannot separate out the physical, the mental, emotional, the energetic, the spiritual. So when we talk meridians, Hulk smash, for instance, the gallbladder meridian, which happens mm -hmm. to end start at the side of your eye is like the Hulk smash meridian. It's the rage, resentment, anger, wrath, fury, right? The betrayed is like, <clears throat> right? That that's the gallbladder meridian, right? So yes, it has very physical effects on your body as well, but it's also there. If you are in fear and you are afraid that it's like, oh my God, I, I, I can't, I, I, I don't have what it takes to do this. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm so afraid. I, I'm right. That's kidney meridian, which, which ends right below where your, your collarbone meets your breastbone, right? That's the end of the kidney meridian. And that point is really, really amazing for think of because it also governs not just your kidney and bladder, it, your sexual organs. So think of like you, have you got the cojones for this? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Are you up to it? Yep. Are you adequate? Right. So this is, I've got what it takes. So Hulk smash side of the eye is I'm reaching out with love and forgiveness toward myself and others. Mm -hmm right? Because we're just as angry at ourselves. Kidney meridian, the breastbone is, I've got what it takes. I know it's, so I incorporate the acupuncture and the energetic side of it in as well. So, and so I have a number of different tools that I use and let, let those are just some. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Would you make a distinction between using some of the tools that you just talked about for acute stress management. So you can change your state. So you can have your executive function back online. You can make better decisions and differentiating back between that and chronic stress based on trauma. And if you would make those distinctions, even if you wouldn't, how might you deal with the underlying trauma of individual, which has them in constant fight or flight state of, of being versus not versus, but like different than like, Oh, I'm in a, car incident and it's not a car incident but like traffic and it's stressful you know which is different because it's more acute than like the chronic stress that's resulting from the trauma that you've had for 10 20 30 40 50 years depending on your age and thank you so much for bringing up trauma it's again another thing that i'm very passionate about especially yeah. given my background and and yeah. people i work with and i on my podcast I actually have to give you her number. I had one of my dear friends, Dr. Amy Apigian, who, who teaches the biology of trauma. And, mm -hmm. and she's a double board certified medical physician and all around amazing, amazing, beautiful soul. And 
we were talking on my podcast and you know she was like she made the comment people think that you know if they even if they believe i had a great childhood i'm fine right i didn't you know i don't, i haven't had trauma in my life number one you may not recognize it as trauma right because you may just believe like think of like kids who play hockey right mm-hmm. and they get their bell rung right mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and everybody's around them and get up right like in other words you're programmed to believe it's nothing even if it did have a serious impact you may also not be aware of it because it may not just be your trauma mm-hmm. it could be or you may have let me back up and say it could still be your trauma and our minds have incredible coping mechanisms to help us survive mm-hmm. and it can mess with our memories. Like, I don't have, I have, well, I have very, very few memories before the age of eight. Mm-hmm. Right? In other words, and it was a survival mechanism, yeah. right? So there's an example where you may not consciously remember it, but it's inside and your unconscious mind will even go so far as to cause physical pain, physical conditions to distract you. In other words, cause physical pain to distract you from mental and emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And so there are many different ways that trauma can show up. It may have been your parents' trauma, right? My mother was an orphan during the depression. My father, I talked about his PTSD, right? So they're different, very different types of, of, of trauma that you couldn't help but be impacted by it because you were raised by them. Well, and right? it's actually really interesting too, because we can, you can talk about intergenerational trauma. You could, you can go beyond your family of origin mm-hmm. for way further back, but Absolutely. even if you don't want to go that far, you could just look right. at, you know, your grandmother had your mother in her room and your mother had your, her, you became you as her eggs inside of you. So there's three generations in one person. So anything that affects your grandmother affects your mother, which would affect you. <laughs> and then you can Absolutely. also go way, way back. Yeah. Absolutely. I call that epigenetic PTSD. Hmm. And that because the research has shown that, as you say, that it is not just the people that raised you. Yeah. It's, it's also that your forebearers, whether it's your parents, your grandparents, great grandparents, they don't know exactly how far back it can go. They've gone like, you know, a few generations that that can mod that trauma that they have experienced modifies their DNA expression and can cause very physical conditions, increased mortality and fear responses can even be translated down, so transmitted down. So if you feel like you, you, I, I had a, somebody I was talking with once who had, who was African-American who was living in California at the time, never been to the South, but they said, I visited the South and I drove past a cotton field and I had a visceral reaction to seeing the cotton. They had never been around cotton, right? So in other words, and, and so whether it's because of a cultural or historical, um, events like slavery or the Holocaust or, or whether it's more personal, like my father's PTSD and I was the only one in the family born afterwards, 
right? So all of those impact how your DNA is expressed, your, mm -hmm. your genetics is expressed. So the, the long, it became a long answer <laughs> to your question, Michael, is it's all stress. Dr. Hans Selye, the father of stress, who did, he, he was the one who did the research and coined the terms, actually stress, um, fight and flight, right? So and he showed how acute stress impacts us physically, mentally, emotionally. He showed us how middle term, like intermediate length stress impacts us and then how chronic stress does. And he showed that it doesn't matter what the stressor is. Mm. it still impacts you the same way. So whether you're facing a saber-toothed tiger or your boss is yelling at you, you are going to respond in the very same way. That hardwired instinctive survival mode is what's going to kick in. And so, and that's, that happens in milliseconds because it's neurological, right? It's your neurotransmitters, your adrenaline, which when used properly is like your superhuman fuel, right? It's that what a 98 pound mother can, you know, lift a, a car up off its pin child, her pin child, right? You couldn't pay her any amount of money to do that otherwise. In other words, that is the benefit of the adrenaline and, and how your, your unconscious mind, it shuts off the thinking. So it can go into what you're hardwired to do best, right? And it shunts the blood to your muscles. So you're either going to run, you're going to fight, your pupils are going to dilate, your heart's going to start pounding, right? All of that happens like that, no matter what the stress is. And then over time, think of like that gazelle running, and if the lion doesn't give up or eat it first, it's going to get tired and it's going to use up its store of adrenaline. So then something else has to kick in, which is cortisol, which is our, our medium length stress hormone, right? In other words, it takes hours to days, like it takes longer to, to ramp up and it's not as effective as the adrenaline. And at the same time, it's meant to keep you going. Okay. It's no longer a sprint it's a marathon. I'm just, I'm continuing. I'm, 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 I'm going to keep going. Right. Because it's, what's going to keep me alive. Right? That's what your unconscious mind. That's what the drive is, is to keep you safe, to keep you alive. Unfortunately, <laughs> the very things that cortisol does like ramps up your blood sugar to keep you going. Right. If it, or, and it also messes with your sleep and it causes you to pack on the pounds, right? So when cortisol keeps going for too long, then it causes the very things long-term that get us into trouble now, like over 60% of adults, this was even before COVID, have, who have some kind of chronic condition, mm. right? Even just one. So, so the, the, uh, the cortisol doesn't care about that, right? Your unconscious mind doesn't care about that. It's like, I'm keeping you alive. It doesn't matter to me whether 20 years down the road, you're going to have a heart attack or whether you're going to have yep. cancer or, or whatever, right? My job is to keep you alive now. 
And it does a really great job of that. The challenge is that if it goes on too long, too long, you hit what's called adrenal exhaustion, where you've used up your adrenaline. You've even used up all of your cortisol hormone. You got nothing. You got nothing. And so the longer the stress has been going on, the more likely that's going to happen. And that's what happened with me. My blood sugar tanked because I was in adrenal exhaustion and didn't know it. And so, and, and coming back to the trauma, right? It, you know, I, I think, how old was I? 35? I think I was 35 when I hit the wall. So, but I'd had 35 years of trauma, of living with trauma that wasn't healed properly, wasn't dealt with properly, right? In other words, it was like that abscess that was just tamped down and I got to keep going and got to keep going and got to keep going. And that's why I say that is a massive energy drain. So I was, so all it took was the stress and strain of being a single mom, self-employed, having gone through one of the most rigorous training programs on the face of this earth and, and having two young sons. So still like, you know, not getting enough, um, not getting enough uh, sleep and, and then add in the programming that says, I have to be perfect. I have to achieve. I have to do, I have to be everything to everyone. And it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. In other words, if I hadn't had that background of trauma and adversity, I would have had far more reserve. Yeah. It would have taken far more. And I hope that your listeners can, can relate. That's the only reason I, I talk about my stuff because hopefully they'll see it in themselves yeah. as, as yeah. well. As a result of all your experiences and then kind of all the reflection, the inner work around self-love, you created this program, mm. which I'd love for you to spend a few minutes talking about, you know, what came as a result of all this, that you're now helping other people through their own challenges. I'd love to, Michael. Thank you. The, I help people in a number of different ways. And much as I love physical practice, I actually burned the boats and gave that up a couple, a little while ago. And, and now I focus solely on helping people around the world with teaching them the very tools that I had to learn. Because I'm all about teaching a man how to fish and feeding him for a lifetime rather than giving him a fish and feeding him for a day. And so I have a number of ways that I help with that. People can work with me one-on-one and I only take a few people that way at any one time. And then I also have group programs, small group programs, larger group programs, even self-study programs. I teach weekly master classes. I have my meditations on Insight Timer. In other words, it's like, I have made a point of making sure that I have something that meets everyone and, you know, to start helping them out no matter where they are at 
in life. And so, yes, I have a series of programs, the first of which is called Retrain Your Brain. It's a Retrain Your Brain Bootcamp. And it is all about releasing that unconscious programming, the fears, the sabotage patterns, the trauma that is sucking the life out of you and and setting you up for failure, literally setting you up for adrenal exhaustion, whether you know it or not. And so that's why I talk about shifting from stress to success, because it's, it's, to me, I mean, I was recently interviewed for, um, by Authority Magazine on redefining success and creating a, a, a new paradigm for defining success. And I, I really appreciated that opportunity. And I was honored because to me, that's what we really, really, truly need to do. We need to, to shift, pun intended, because that is one of my favorite words. Yeah, yeah from the old way of thinking that I have to achieve to be worthy, Mm -hmm. to be valuable, to be lovable, right? We need to turn around and look back at the genius of the baby that we were and every baby. I truly believe that every baby is born a genius with its own unique sets of gifts and talent. I don't care if it has Down syndrome or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about when I say genius, right? And a baby understands that it is, that it is already valuable. It doesn't have to prove anything to anyone, right? It's just like, it, it already is. And, and that's the beautiful part about looking at a baby, but then you look at something else about the baby. And here's like true genius. It innately knows and has a drive to grow and to expand. Mm-hmm. Baby isn't just happy to be like cuckoo, lying on its back and everybody else taking care of it. No, it just automatically, it wants to roll over and then push itself up and then sit up and then crawl. And then, oh, look at the, look at them up there. Like they have a lot more independence. I want some of that freedom. So what does it do that as a toddler, it starts standing up and then it starts surfing. And then it like takes that first step and it probably falls down. I'm sure it falls down and then it gets back up and it falls down and it gets back up. The baby doesn't go, you know, I can't seem to get the hang of this walking thing. I've tried a couple of times. I might as well just give up now. I'm, I'm, I'll just crawl around for the rest of my life. <laughs> no, right? It's like, it knows that it has, it has to fail forward, right? Get up, course correct. Oh, okay, that balance thing didn't work. So let's, let's try a little bit more this way, right? It just keeps going and going and going until, until that, crawler becomes a walker and then it goes through that process again with talking somewhere along the line by mostly well-meaning and broken people right we are taught that we have to achieve Mm -hmm. to be valuable so we need to go back to the genius of the baby and understand that we are already valuable. We have nothing to prove. 
and that we are already successful and that the journey of success is simply the journey of growth and expansion into that highest potential of that we are all meant to be. In other words, we have, at some point, we lost that genius of knowing that we need to fail forward and, and, and welcome it. And we're, we, we allow fear to block us and go, well, I, I tried once or twice, or, or I'm not gonna try at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna try at all, right? So we, we get all balled up and it's unconscious. We may think that we're fine. See, got a smile on my face. I'm fine, right? The challenge is that we need to shift from chasing the holy grail of what's traditionally considered success and start having fun and fulfillment, chasing the success that really matters. And that is, what is my highest potential? Who... Who was I born to be? And understanding that all the adversity in the world, the trauma in the world, yes, we need to heal from it. And it's what hones our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, energetic character. It's what helps make us, transmutes us into that highest version of us who we are meant to become. And yeah, wow. I'm just, uh, imagine if our culture and institutions supported human thriving as opposed to taking advantage of the, the frailties and lack of nourishment and the traumas that we suffer from. It's a whole different world we'd be living in. Well, wow. my goal, my big, hairy, audacious vision <laughs> yeah. is that we are transforming the world yeah. into nice. that where true success is not just career and wealth and chasing after the haves so that we can feel enough, but that it's also what is success in our health and energy? What does success, successful relationships look like for us? What does a successful personal life? I'm now in Croatia. I just came from Crete in Greece. In other words, it's like, this is part of my personal life vision is to help as many people, billions of people around the world transform their lives and well-being. And understanding that it's not only okay, I need to have a good life too, so that I can lead by example. So being able to live anywhere in the world while I'm doing that is my fun and nice. fulfillment. Nice. Good for you. Right? I, didn't, I didn't know you made it to Croatia from Crete. That's awesome. <laughs> um, where can people learn more about your work in terms of social media and the web? So I believe I gave you a bunch. My... Website is drirenecop.com, D-R-I-R-E-N-E-C-O-P.com. Cool. And so I gave you my, my Facebook, my Instagram. I don't remember I'll, all those. I'll include all that in the show notes, but it's good to at <laughs> least verbalize your, your primary website, which is very cool. Well, Dr. Irene, great to see you as usual. I appreciate you sharing your story and, and giving us a vision of what's possible for us. And I look forward to continued conversations with you. Absolutely. Thank you. Cool. Thanks.